Turn with me then to Mark chapter 8. That's where our scripture lesson will come from today is Mark chapter 8. Just three verses of scripture today. Chapter 8, verse 11, 12, and 13. Speak to you today about seeking a sign. Seeking a sign, and in particular how that that can be a stumbling block to those who might come to the Lord. In Mark chapter 8, verse 11, we read the Pharisees came and began to argue with Him. That is, Jesus. They were arguing with the Lord, seeking from Him a sign from heaven to test Him. And He sighed deeply in His spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And He left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. There is a tendency, I think, for us to be in a similar place as these Pharisees, to seek a sign from the Lord. There are things that the Lord does, and I do not dismiss the fact that the Lord works in our lives, and we might call those things signs of His presence. But here we have a very different situation taking place. These Pharisees have come to the Lord seeking a sign, seeking evidence, seeking for Jesus to prove to them once and for all that He is, that He was, and thus that He is the Son of God. Yet we find in even the words themselves in verse 11, as they came and began to argue with the Lord, we find, I think, that their minds were already made up. They'd already made up their mind about Jesus. They were just looking to test Him. They were looking to prove Him wrong. Their minds and their hearts were not open to hearing what He had to say. They'd already made up their mind, and so their request itself is a bit dubious, it's a bit duplicitous, it's a bit uh, um, pregnant with disbelief. They already didn't believe. They'd already dismissed him. They'd already called him someone who was working by the power of the devil. They'd already called him a blasphemer. They'd already made up their mind about the Lord. And so they come to him, these Pharisees, these religious men in their white robes, in their well-versed understanding of the Old Testament, and yet their complete misunderstanding of it at the same time. And they come to him seeking a sign. And I wonder today if, if you are seeking a sign from the Lord in the same way, perhaps. Maybe not as maliciously. Maybe though in your mind it's already been made up. And you come today or perhaps your mind is made up about any number of other things. And the, like these Pharisees, you've come with a mind already made up that's more a challenge than a request. It's more a test than a desire to really hear from God. It's a wall that you've put up between you and God. It's a steel 
a cage that you've put around your mind and your heart to truly hear from him. And, and instead of wanting to truly hear from him, you're, you're testing him. You're demanding of God a sign. Some sign to prove to you beyond all doubt that Jesus is who he said he is. What's amazing to me, among many things though here, is though their minds were already made up and they come asking Jesus for a sign, Jesus had already performed so many signs, so many miracles. He'd already done so many things that their eyes were blind to, their ears were deaf to. At this point in the Gospel of Mark alone, just looking at Mark and not cross-referencing the other Gospels, Jesus has already cast out five demons. He's healed these demon-possessed people and He called the demons out. He has healed countless people, including a paralyzed man, a man with a withered hand, the woman with the issue of blood, a leper, a deaf man. He's He's already healed these men. He's already performed these signs. He's already done these great things. And yet, here are the Pharisees coming to God and asking Him once again and demanding of Him and arguing with the Lord, show us a sign. He's already walked on water. He's already calmed the storm. He's raised a young girl from the dead. He's fed the 5,000. And just prior to this Scripture in Mark, He's fed 4,000. But here they are, demanding yet more evidence. Another sign. Seeking a sign. They began to argue with Him, seeking from Him a sign from heaven to test Him. Some commentators say here that they weren't just looking or asking for another miracle, but they were looking for a specific sign from God in heaven that Jesus was who He claimed to be. They were looking for irrefutable, according to their own estimation and their own judgment, looking for irrefutable proof that Jesus was of divine origin as He claimed to be. Have you ever thought about what's wrong with this? What's wrong with this? Some might think that. Some might wonder. An unbeliever might say, why is it so wrong for me to ask God to show me a sign that He is real, that He is there, that He truly has sent Jesus to die for my sin? Why is that wrong? Why was it wrong for the Pharisees to come to Jesus and make this demand? What was wrong with it? Surely Jesus could have. Surely Jesus could have shown them a sign, couldn't He? Surely Jesus could have shown them a sign. He could have called fire from heaven. He could have called for angels to appear before them and bow down at His feet. He could have. He could have done that. He'd already performed these other signs and miracles. Surely He could have done something to remove from them their doubt. That's the thinking. And by the way, what a sign that would be, wouldn't it? If the Lord said and had angels come, these creatures of might and power, that if they were in this room invisible today, you and I would be tempted to bow down to them as Joshua was, as others in Scripture were. 
these angels of God created in, in majesty and power and, and ability far beyond that that we possess, if these angels who one or two of them alone could withstand all of the might of the earth, if they would have come in that moment and visibly appeared to these Pharisees and bowed down to Jesus in humble adoration, what a sign that would have been. Would that have been enough? Would that have convinced these men? What's wrong with the fact that they're asking for a sign? What's so bad about this? Why is it so important or, or necessary for one to just simply believe? But again, had Jesus shown them that kind of sign, uh, how strikingly that would have demonstrated the obstinance and pride of the Pharisees as they test Jesus to have seen that these angels would never dare do such a thing. And by the way, if you're testing God and you're testing Him and you're pushing back against Him and you're demanding of Him something, I want you to know you're doing something that even the angels would not dare do. They would not presume to do such a thing. But what is it again specifically? What is it that's wrong about their request that causes Jesus to sigh deeply as Mark says? They came to him arguing and testing him and saying to him, show us a sign from heaven to prove you are who you say you are. And the response of our Lord is first this deep sigh, this just frustration, no doubt, to, to, to be, to, to be challenged the way he was. Why is this so wrong? Why, why did this exhibit this response from Christ? Why is it wrong to ask for such a sign? Well, to understand the answer to that question, I think we need to remember why it was that God created us in the first place. And what the greatest commandment that He has given us is. Why is it so wrong to seek of God a sign? Why is it so wrong to demand of Him this answer? Let us not forget what the greatest commandment that God has given to us is. And what is that? We're told in Matthew chapter 22, 36 through 38. We're also told this way back in Deuteronomy. We're told this by other writers of the New Testament. That there was a man that came in Matthew 22 and he said, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? What is the most important thing that we are to observe to do in our lives? This is a fundamental question. What's the most important thing, teacher? Christ, Lord, Jesus, what is that thing that we are to do? What is the greatest of all the commandments? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord thy God, the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Why was it wrong for these Pharisees to ask for a sign? Why was it wrong for them to come and demand of Christ for Him to prove Himself to these Pharisees? What was wrong with the request? It totally dismissed the first commandment. What does loving God have to do with the Pharisees' demand here of Jesus to provide a sign from heaven to prove Himself to them? Well, let me ask you this. Can you love God without trusting Him? Without believing Him? 
without resting your soul and your life upon Him? Does not loving God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind, does it not demand that you trust Him? That you believe Him? Is that not what's necessary to fulfill that greatest commandment? I believe to love God in that way, it absolutely necessitates that we believe Him. If you don't believe God, you will never love Him. If you don't believe what He has said about you, you will never come to know Him. If you don't believe Him and trust Him, you cannot, you cannot even begin to approach the obedience to the greatest commandment. By the way, if you don't love God, if you don't, if you don't find Him, if you don't trust Him, you, you will never find the purpose for your life here on earth. You won't. You'll substitute the greater purpose of knowing God for some passing thing that you'll while away the days of your life with. And perhaps you will stand among the Pharisees and in disbelief and a mind already made up and a heart that is hardened toward God, you will say, prove it to me. And you will demand that that proof be given in such a way that you will accept. Demanding a sign was itself wrong because it betrayed their lack of trust and faith in Christ. It evidenced it. It showed it. It put it right on the surface. We don't believe you. We're arguing with you. Show us some sign from heaven. And let me ask you this. Had God done that? Had the Lord done that? Had Jesus done that on this day? Who would have been obeying whom? Who would have been doing whose will? Would Jesus not have been doing theirs rather than the other way around, which is how it's supposed to be? You're demanding of God a sign? Let me ask you a question. Is it your place to do such a thing? To ask the creator of the universe to prove himself to us? What more does he need to do? The trees breathe in the, the, the carbon dioxide that you exhale and, and we breathe in the oxygen that they exhale and, and life, the earth is just the right distance from the sun and, and your life, you can go back and you can see things in your life that had somebody somewhere not done something, namely a divine being outside of this world to set you here. You, you know that there's an evidence of him already. How dare we ever demand of him another sign? And that's what these Pharisees are doing. Prove yourself to me. Demanding a sign of Christ, it just it clearly displayed their lack of trust in Him. This is, by the way, it's like the rich man in the parable that Jesus gave, right? He, he lives in such a way. He is, he is to ensure that those who would, he's just sure that he, he wants his friends to not go where he went. When Jesus gave that parable, he said a rich man opened his eyes in hell. He said he didn't want his, his brothers to come there. And he said, Abraham, send somebody back from the dead to warn them. Send somebody back to tell them and to warn them that they don't want to come here. 
And yet in the minds of so many people, they think that demanding of God a sign like this is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. What's wrong with it though? Well, there's two. There's two major problems with it right off the bat. First, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. The sign you're looking for, if you're challenging and dis- and distrusting God and demanding of Him to give you some kind of sign that would satisfy your heart and mind, first, it won't work. Abraham said to this rich man, when the rich man had asked, he said, send somebody from the dead. Send Moses or one of the prophets. Send him. Send, send somebody from the dead. Send Lazarus to go tell them. Then they would believe. That was the rich man's idea. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. The rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He thinks if there's some sign, God, if if you'll send them a sign like that, then surely they will believe. That's what they think in their mind and they're demanding and they're seek, and this man is seeking himself like the Pharisees, some sign. First of all, the problem with that is it won't work. Abraham said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. That sign that they think themselves they're seeking, it would not be enough and it would not work. What is the sign you're looking for? What is the sign that you're waiting for God to show you before you'll trust Him and obey Him and do His will? Before you'll repent and believe in Him? What sign are you looking for? I want to tell you, whatever that sign is, that sign alone won't be enough either because God's not looking to prove Himself to you anymore. He's convicted your heart. You must come to Him in trust and belief and faith. So first, some sign it won't work. It won't work. Second, Such a sign would make it impossible for you to believe in, trust in, and ultimately love God like we've already talked about. Hebrews 11.6, without faith. This is essential to the Christian doctrine, by the way. This is essential to the Christian life. Hebrews 11.6. Memorize it if you haven't already. Memorize it. Hold it dear in your heart in a world that demands that we see rather than trust and obey Memorize and hold 11.6 of Hebrews dear in your heart. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It's impossible. The very thing that you demand of God to show you, to prove to you, can be the very thing that prevents you then from trusting Him wholeheartedly without reservation and putting your heart in His hand. God, is it's your hands that I put my life. I, I don't need you to prove anything else to me. I know you are who you say you are. I know you have dealt with my heart. I know that I am a creature far beyond what the world's scientist can tell me I am and that the world even understands today. I believe you. I trust you. I put myself in your hands and I seek nothing else from you but mercy, grace, and, and forgiveness. Not some sign. Your service would be driven by sight, would it not, and not faith, if it was a sign that you were waiting to see. Your love of God would not be based on trust, and it would thus never be the kind of love God is looking to receive from you. Don't seek a sign. Seeking a sign 
is the path to disobedience more often than obedience. Especially and clearly in the way that these Pharisees are coming to the Lord. In verse 12, he sighed deeply. Mark is one of the gospel writers that really gives us a view into the humanity of Christ more than the others. He, he's frequently talking about his emotional response to the circumstances that he was in. He sighs deeply. Can you just see him? And his look of disappointment. And as you seek a sign from him, and he sighs deeply, his sadness. A sigh can communicate so many different things, can't it? Nuances of emotional response. Frustration. Exasperation. Anger, even. We see his, his deep disappointment in these men who spent their days reading and studying the law, and yet their hearts were so far from him as they demanded a sign. I wonder how many people today, having left this world and are in that place called outer darkness, that the Lord sighed because they demanded something of him rather than giving him their faith and trust as he sighs deeply in disappointment and brokenheartedness for the disbelief. Jesus knew their hearts were far from him. He knew it because they were demanding from him this sign. Jesus knew there would never be a sign sufficient to break through their cold, unbelieving, and sin-hardened hearts. Their lack of faith their lack of trust, their lack of love causes him deep anguish, disappointment. No doubt, I think, a measure of anger here. In frustration, we, if, we can, if we can imagine at all the mind of Christ in this moment, knowing all that he knew, even just in his humanity, but certainly his divinity, if we can just kind of put ourselves in his mind as, as we think of him sighing deeply in his great disappointment, he loved these men. Listen, he loved these Pharisees that were demanding of him a sign. Yes, he was disappointed in them. Yes, he was broken about their lack of faith in him. But he loved them. He loved them so much that he was going to, he went ahead and allowed men to draw, to drive nails into his hands and his feet. He loved them. He died for them. That's why he came and that's why he sighs deeply in his heart and externally and visibly as Mark observed it and observed it to the point that when the Spirit of God brought this memory back to him when he was writing it, down he remembered the sigh of Christ he sighs and we can imagine if we can think of Jesus mind thinking to himself why do these men seek what I have already given why do they look for things I have already shown them why does this generation seek after a sign why do they want things from me instead of just wanting me why do they want God to do things for them instead of just wanting God? 
Why do they want to be Christians so that they can think for a minute that they've got some home and uh, place with streets of gold and mansions on the hilltop and endless family reunions? Why do they want those things instead of me? I've shown them all that I can show them. Why do they want these things? Why do they seek these things? Why do their eyes see and yet they remain blind to who I am? Why do their ears hear and yet they remain deaf to my voice? Why do they do this as he sighs in his heart and in his body and he demonstrates his his exasperation with these men? I think this is still how Jesus responds to those who are seeking a sign from him before they will believe in and trust him. Maybe he sighs in disappointment every time that he comes and draws on the heart of a lost person or saved by the way but particularly lost as he draws their heart and and they seek some sign instead of seeking him and so because he he sees that and he understands that if i gave them this sign they'd be only obedient to what they demand rather than putting their heart and trust in me and he sighs he's broken about it every time that we turn away from him I want to ask you an important question before I move on today. What sign have you required of the thing that you are currently living for? What are you currently living for? I think you need to identify that. What gets you up in the morning? What animates your heart? What what brings you joy? What brings you pleasure? What brings you meaning? What brings you purpose? I will warn you, first of all, if it's anything that's anchored to this world, that is a passing anchor. That is a passing thing. By default, we're all going to walk away from it. You came into the world empty-handed. You're going to go out of the world empty-handed. You're going to net zero everything in this life. Unless you know God. But maybe you're living for money. Maybe you're living for a relationship. Maybe you're living for your job. Maybe you're living for your children. Maybe you're living for whatever. Fill in the blank. What sign have you asked of them to prove their worthiness of your service? What sign have they given? What sign have you demanded of them? What sign has money given to you that gives you assurance beyond all doubt that it will take care of you forever? As you look at that thing called money and riches and treasures in this world, what what have you demanded of it? I'll tell you this today. I don't know when it's going to happen, but at some point, the world's going to come to its senses and we're going to realize that the economic uh, 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 prosperity that we're enjoying today is borrowed prosperity on the backs of men and women that lived a long time ago and it's going to one day crumble and those dollar bills in your pocket in your bank they're going to be worthless i don't know when that's going to happen i don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetime but i'll tell you this either way you're going to walk away from it what's that money going to do for you when you're lying on your deathbed absolutely nothing it will have no sign to give to you what is what is whatever else that you might be living for given to you that, that's convinced you beyond all doubt that I can put my trust in this thing? And then I want you to examine the, the rationale that you're, that you're bringing to the table as you consider those things. Well, I, I'm going to live a good life and I'm going to have a good family and I'm going to do all these things. And then you're going to walk away from it. And where are you going to be a million years from right now? 
You demanding a sign of the one who wants you to come to him and love him? Without demanding these things because you trust him and you put your heart in his hand? What sign has pleasure given you that provides any assurance beyond all doubt that it will take care of you forever? What sign can anything in this world give you that provides you any assurance that it's going to take care of you forever? Nothing can. I believe if you're honest, you know this. You would have to admit that you have no such sign from the world either, do you? No confidence, no sign, and yet it's from God that you demand one. And He's already given ample and far more than is necessary. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand either. It is not that our faith is without evidence. And frankly, even at times in our life, God clearly moves. And I don't like to call them signs as much as evidence. But there are things in our life that He does put into place and it's, and it's an evidence to us. It's, it's a clear move of God because we couldn't have put the pieces of the puzzle together on our own like only He can. So don't misunderstand me. It's not that our faith is without evidence because our faith surely allows us to see God's work in the world and in our own hearts and lives. The blindness of our hearts is removed when God saves us when He and also when He's just dealing with us and when we are faithfully following Him. The ignorance of God itself is removed. Emptiness is replaced with fullness. Fear is replaced with peace. Brokenness is replaced with joy. There are demonstrable, evidentiary things that happen. But there's an importance in keeping the order of operation in place. Do you remember your math classes in grade school and even in perhaps junior high and on? What was really important as you got into some of the more complex math things? Order of operation. What piece of this formula do you solve first and then second and then third? And if you miss the order of operation, your answer is going to be wrong every time. Well, listen, the order of operation here with God and signs is imperative. The same like as in math where the order of operation is essential, the same is true with our belief and trust of God in relation to signs and evidence. We believe, we trust, and we place our hope in Christ alone, and then, then He gives us peace, assurance, and a sign in our hearts that all is well with our soul. He does give the sign, but the order of operation is essential. It is imperative. You go to Him and you place your trust and faith in Him. And then these things come. Then our eyes are open to see the things that were always there in front of us and yet we didn't clearly see. The order of operations is not the other way around. And this is where I think we can lose sight of the path to God. How can you believe and trust God any other way than, than the right order of operation, which is to trust Him? Romans 8, 24 and 25. Paul writes, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. I, I want you to hear that again. For in this hope we were saved. We were saved in hope, in expectation, in confidence, in trust. We were saved. Now hope that is seen, a sign, hope that is seen 
that's not hope. And if we didn't have hope, then we didn't have salvation. Hope that is seen is not, or hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? It's a question Paul asks. It's rhetorical. Of course, you don't hope for what you see. You have what you see. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Signs come. Evidence comes. Confidence comes to us from God to our hearts and our minds. But we do not stand on the negotiating table and demand of God to give us the sign first. Our hearts must trust and obey. Then God will give us these things. Verse 13, he left them, got into the boat again, and he went to the other side. What is the result of seeking the sign here for these Pharisees? It's a horrible result. This is the last public ministry Christ will do in the land of Galilee. This is it. It's the last words he speaks. He turns around, he gets in the boat, and he leaves. He simply left. Jesus takes his leave from them as he does from any who demand a sign from him who are unwilling to believe and to trust and to obey. So not only did they not receive a sign, more dangerously, they've prompted the Lord to leave. As he sighs and he looks at them in disappointment and brokenness and sadness, knowing that in a moment like that, these men can be cast into outer darkness because they will not believe and trust. Because they're demanding this sign. Be very careful today as we work toward our close. Be very careful when demanding anything from God. It's, I think it's more common today. I don't know. I'm, I'm locked into the 50 years I've been on the earth. I can read history, but history itself is a little bit of a tricky thing because you're depending on the one who's writing the history. It doesn't mean we ought not study history. We do the best we can to understand history, but it's a little bit difficult. I do think, though, that we're a little more inclined to do this kind of thing of demanding of God things we ought never to demand of Him today than perhaps men and women of previous generations were. We have a consumer attitude in our hearts and minds to consume and to consume and to consume and to have all this prosperity and we demand it and the, and the, the smiling false preacher will tell you that God wants you to have all of these things and so you begin to demand of God these things before you'll believe and trust Him. Be very careful with that. You are the beggar, not God. You are the blind one, not God. You are the needy one. You are the broken one. You are the debtor, not God. You are the one in need of acceptance, not God. You are the clay. He is the potter. You are the creature, not the creator. Be very careful when you come to God and demand of Him a sign. And certainly may you not come with a heart of stone like these Pharisees did and demand of Him to prove Himself. Stop seeking a sign and surrender. Stop seeking a sign and surrender. 
Surrender your demands. Surrender your will. Surrender your expectations of God. Surrender yourself. Trust yourself to Him. Stop demanding with head held high and chest puffed out and chin set to argue that He prove Himself to you and start crying out instead for His mercy and His grace and His forgiveness. He is God. He's just who He said He was. And He loves you and He wants you to come to Him. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to follow Him, not because of what He does, but because of who He is. And if there is a difference maker in the Christian life, both in salvation in the first place and then the Christian life thereafter, it is a heart that longs for Christ and Christ alone. Whether He gives us an easy life and blessings here or not, we demand nothing of Him because He is our God and He came and He gave all. He gave all of Himself so that we might have life. How could we ever ask Him for more? May we never seek a sign like these men did on this day and let us trust Him and follow Him and obey Him. Let's have a song.